different countries similar narratives. What is Ukraine's and Slovakia's experience with Russian propaganda? You're listening to the podcast Explain Ukraine. In this episode of our Propaganda Diary, we discuss a joint Ukrainian-Slovak research studying the key narratives of Russian propaganda in both countries. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My guests are Petr Duboci, research fellow of ADAPT Institute and director of Infosecurity.sk, and Alena Hrychko, journalist and analyst at Ukraine World. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. You can also support our volunteer trips to the frontline areas at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. Hello and welcome. We continue our podcast Explaining Ukraine, and this is our series, our traditional series, Propaganda Diary. And uh, today we will be talking about the research, about our common research uh, we've made with our Slovakian colleagues. And I'm very glad to uh, to actually welcome uh, our colleagues from uh, Slovakia, who is uh, Petr Duboci, who is a research fellow of ADAPT Institute and director of Infosecurity.sk. Hello, Petr. Uh, hello. Thank you very much. It's uh, It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, my colleague Alona Hryshko, who is analyst at Ukraine World and Internews Ukraine and is, is leading our InfoWatch uh, research and studies and, and projects. Hello, Alona. Hello. So uh, for our listeners, I would just like to say that we've conducted a very interesting research comparing uh, Slovakia and Ukraine, the way how Russian propaganda actually penetrates these both countries. Uh, for those of you who are probably very far away and not really acquainted with the geography of Central and Eastern Europe, I can say that Slovakia and Ukraine are neighbors. We share a common border. And uh, therefore, uh, of course, there is also certain um, certain commonalities of the past uh, because Slovakia, as Ukraine, was also in this uh, socialist bloc. Ukraine was not independent, it was part of the Soviet Union. Slovakia was part of Czechoslovakia at the time, uh, after the Second World War. And uh, therefore, it's it's interesting to look at these two countries and to see similarities and differences with regard, regard to Russian propaganda, especially, of course, uh, during this full-scale invasion. But actually, we also studied uh, our research earlier, uh, I mean, we, we collected data from the earlier period, which is 2013, when uh, there was Maidan revolution in Ukraine, and then, of course, 2014, the annexation of Crimea and the the hot war and the hybrid war against Ukraine by Russia, starting at that, at that moment, or rather continuing its hybrid warfare, which Russia conducted against Ukraine for quite a long time. So uh, let me ask, Pater and Alona, let's start with you, Pater, uh, to explain to our audience what is research, what's what it's all about, and uh, why it is important. Pater? Uh, yeah, I mean, you've presented it quite well, but to kind of summarize it, the aim of our study was to investigate how pro-Kremlin actors in both countries, so both in Slovakia and Ukraine, have constructed or shaped this uh, image of as we have called the the profound influence of the far right in Ukraine. 
which of course basically means or signals this idea of uh, fascism or Nazism being quite prevalent in the society and uh, you know the political spectrum of, of Ukraine. Uh, and of course, we have focused on these narratives because it is one of the key propaganda narratives that is present among all actors spreading uh, Russian propaganda, uh, especially from 2014, as you have mentioned, uh, the hybrid warfare uh, started approximately uh, in this year, uh, mostly in relation to to the annexation of, of Crimea and the and the start uh, of the war in in Donbas. And of course, one of the main motivations for actually monitoring and following this narrative uh, was the fact that uh, the Russian propaganda and Putin himself. Uh, use this narrative or use this claim as a reason uh, for the start of a full-scale war uh, in Ukraine uh, in in 2022. Uh, so the study aimed to provide its readers with a better overview of how this meta-narrative of this profound influence of the far right in Ukraine uh, was communicated and basically instrumentalized in in Slovakia and in and uh, in Ukraine uh, by by local actors, which are truly one of the main tools of uh, the dissemination of of Russia propaganda. Um, the research design itself reflects the quantitative and also the qualitative levels of the issue. Uh, where it seeks to provide a detailed analysis of key sub-narratives and also it tries to identify the actors uh, who were involved in spreading these, uh, these, nar these narratives. Uh, we actually try to answer some few key uh, research questions, which are what topics and sub-narratives shape the narrative under the observation during the monitoring period, and also which actors have been most active and, and quite an effective in, in shaping it. Uh, also, we have tried to focus on the similarities and of course the differences that could be found in information of this narrative, uh, both in Slovak and Ukraine uh, information space. Uh, as you have pointed out, uh, our research tracks the period between the uh, start of Maidan and the first uh, May of 2022. Uh, so it uh, allows us uh, to identify and analyze narratives which were already circulating uh, during the full-scale war between uh, Ukraine and, and Russia. Uh, in regards to the SOAC dataset, it contained uh, a total of more than 1,600 uh, results. Uh, and of course, these data were sorted chronologi uh, chronologically to determine the relevance and of course the relation to different let's say time phases or events uh, that occurred in this uh, in this period uh, the content itself or the content search itself was based on a predefined list of actors and in the case of Slovakia uh, this was the list that was co containing a total of 133 actors if I if I remember correctly and it was created on the basis of Gebelata Technologies list of these programming actors that have been uh, functioning and spreading various disinformation narratives and pro-Russian narratives 
during these these years we have we have tracked. So I think I think it's indeed very interesting, very important because as we try to to show in this podcast in our propaganda diary is that actually the hot war was was preceded by this uh, by this information attack, uh, which actually was of course very very old one and uh, we cannot even trace it back to 2013 it was all about the russian propaganda with regard to ukraine as as the country of nationalists and the country of radicals uh, and of course it kind of a penetrated russian population and contributed to the support of the war let me ask alona uh, what is what is specific in the ukrainian part of the research. Have you studied mostly social networks? Have you studied posts on Facebook? What was the focus? Uh, Vlada, we just decided that Facebook is the way, a kind of social media that is worse uh, to research, uh, to find the narratives. Uh, because uh, before the full-scale invasion, uh, Russian propaganda uses this social media platform quite intensive. So if we are talking about the Ukrainian data set, we managed to identify more than uh, 7,500 uh, posts on Facebook for analysis, taking into account the keywords that we use for our research. However, most of them were more neutral or uh, simply informative, uh, so they were not useful for the analysis. And take into account that we were um, focused on finding the Russian narratives uh, mainly and meta-narratives as well. Um, we clearly bear in Russian propagandistic narratives in 27 items, 27 posts by active Russian propaganda uh, pages and uh, channels for spreading the narratives. Let me ask Peter. So uh, uh, let me come back to Slovakia. And uh, it's it's really interesting for us to compare Ukraine and Slovakia uh, because in Ukraine, obviously, the Russians were much more present uh, since the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and only now their presence in the information spaces has diminished significantly. Their presence in the TV has actually brought to zero. How is it in Slovakia? What, what are, uh, how the Russian narratives are actually penetrating Slovakia information space? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean... It, it should be really understood that uh, there lie several actors behind this success of the, of the Russian propaganda and its dissemination in, in Slovakia. Uh, I mean, the geopolitical topics that are related to Russia are really strongly represented in the Slovak information space across its different parts. And the dividing line is quite clearly visible, mostly in regards to... Uh, distinguishing between these actors that are pro-Western and, of course, those that are pro-Russian. And, of course, uh, the topic of Russian geopolitics is quite polarizing and it has this mobilization potential and viral potential in regards to the social media, of course. And this is, this is very well reflected uh, in the positions and, let's say, the communication strategies uh, of the dominant actors in, in Slovak information environment, especially those who are actually pro-Kremlin or have been disseminating these various pro-Russian narratives uh, in the long run, 
as I've, as I mentioned before, uh, especially in, since 2014. And it must be said that the, the problem or the challenge or the issue of Russian hybrid warfare has been, I would say, ignored in, in Slovakia, but of course, not only in Slovakia. Uh, it's an it's a issue uh, that is functioning on a, on a global scale, of course, and it's uh, mostly directed at you know, destabilizing uh, the fundamental pillars of democracy, the foreign policy, uh, let's say the membership uh, of various uh, states in, in NATO and, and in EU, EU, of course. So we can see this uh, specific image of Russian actions, which are trying to, to spread influence and various uh, disinformation narratives uh, that are actually using quite the same tools, I would say, but the aims or the goals of their activities uh, differ mostly, right? So, uh, and also in the case of Slovakia, it should be added that uh, especially the far right, the far left, and also the pro-Kremlin actors uh, have successfully created their own information subsystems uh, consisting mainly of proxy media, blogs or various groups or pages on, on social media, uh, especially Facebook, because really the Facebook, Facebook is the primary social media and in some cases the primary source of information here in Slovakia. So that's why it presents uh, such a huge uh, opportunity for uh, for the interests of, of Russian propaganda. Let me ask uh, about about public opinion. Can we can we say that the, uh, you know using public opinion data that Russian propaganda is successful? Like how many people in Slovakia actually support the Russian narratives that it is war against America? It's a war against uh, Ukrainian fascists, and therefore Russia should win. Right, uh, sure. I mean, the activities that I have mentioned, these activities of uh, these uh, proclaiming actors are really uh, reflected in in results of, of the latest polls that have focused on the topic of the war in Ukraine. Uh, for example, a YouGov poll from May 22 uh, showed that almost a third of Slovaks at the time consider NATO to be the, to be the aggressor. Uh, also, another poll conducted uh, by Solak universities showed that many Solaks attributed the responsibility for the conflict to Ukraine itself. I think it was about 38% of, of respondents. And of course, there is this recent uh, Globsec uh, survey, which, is, uh, which was conducted in the September of 2022, uh, that showed that 47%, 7%, 47% of the Slovak population actually want Ukraine to win and only 19% of, of uh, Slovak population want Russia to win, which of course is still quite a, quite a high number, uh, especially in, right, uh, in relation to the, to the facts that we, uh, that we know and that we, we have to kind of acknowledge uh, in, in these days. So uh, I would say that the narratives of Russian propaganda uh, aren't necessarily accepted by the majority of society, but uh, it's quite a large uh, minority that uh, that we are talking about. And of course, this this Globsec poll that I have mentioned also showed that uh, up to twenty four percent of respondents 
uh, say said that they did not actually care who wins this war and 10 percent uh, of them uh, actually couldn't answer this question so uh, this kind of portrays uh, about a third of the Slovak population that's uh, which actually doesn't have a clear opinion created uh, and is is really this potential target for for Russian propaganda. That's very important, and I will ask uh, in 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 the next question. I will ask Peter, what are the reasons for that? What are the grounds for that? But before that, I will address to Alona and ask you, what are the channels of of these Russian narratives coming into Ukraine? Because we understand that it is certainly not television anymore. Uh, the pro-Russian TV channels were banned by. Uh, by President Zelensky uh, even before the full-scale invasion and, of course, after the full-scale invasion when we have the single marathon, TV marathon, they cannot really penetrate. So they're penetrating through the social networks mostly, right? What, what, are the, what are the channels of penetration of these narratives into Ukraine? So if we are talking about Ukraine, it's necessary to mention that we definitely know exactly what is going on in our country. So in case if we are talking about the Russian news media that spread uh, some information about Ukraine, it's more about the idea that it's necessary to compare what they said about some events and how... uh, what is the truth about this. And it's necessary to remember that... um, if we are talking about the TV channels and not still the source of information as well, but social networks is the way when we can find fake news as well as uh, the uh, speed of spreading this fake news is quite fast. And in some cases, um, we are talking about the specific uh, active actors on the Facebook as a kind of social network who definitely use this platform for uh, so-called Russian truths about the uh, Ukraine as well, uh, our alias, etc., etc. And um, if we are talking about the idea that um, um, how many people like uh, read the news in social media, uh, we definitely Ukrainians receive the news from the social uh, networks. But um, if uh, Ukrainians are asked uh, whether they trust the Russian news, it's definitely the lowest level than we ever can imagine uh, since the full-scale invasion. As far as I remember, it's something like uh, less than 10% to trust the Russian news on the social networks. But at the same time, we see that uh, on Facebook, uh, Russian propaganda is present, but on, on some new social networks, well, relatively new, like Telegram, like TikTok. And this is, of course, something that uh, they kind of are finding these loopholes. We know that uh, during the past year, we had the flourishing of anonymous Telegram uh, channels, which people actually read from the smartphones, which are becoming increasingly the source of information, of news information for, for various reasons. And this is, I think, this is where not only Facebook, but this is where we should look into into the Russian narratives. Let me address to Peter and uh, ask uh, the question about the context, right? So, the context of public opinion, the context of, of the way how the Slovaks uh, perceive your country, uh, uh, your own country, your own past, your own present and future. Because we know that 
propaganda doesn't just manipulate, right? It it enters the the pain points, uh, the traumatic points of any society and tries to polarize the society using these points which already exist. Like in Ukraine, it's obviously this controversy, historical controversy over the Second World War. Well, you were either on the side of the Red Army or you were on the side of the Ukrainian insurgent army. In, uh, I don't know, in, in Britain, over the past years, it was a question of remain in the EU or leave the EU. In France, it is the question of the attitude to Islam and to immigrants. What are these, what are the, the sentiments and the ideas present in, in Slovakian public opinion, which are actually form the fertile ground for possibly uh, Russian narratives? Right. I mean, that's a that's a really great, uh, great question, because these uh, positive sentiments and positive perceptions of Russia really stem from these historically constructed ideas uh, that are, of course, coming from uh, our common history with with Russia or, or the Soviet Union. And these narratives or rather these pro-Russian sentiments are really effectively used by various disinformation uh, actors. And they're actually trying to use them or apply them uh, on several uh, current events, especially the war in in Ukraine. But of course, uh, this was also shown during the past eight or nine years in regards to the let's say, the events of, of Maidan, the war in Donbass, the annexation of Crimea uh, and all of that. So, yeah, it's it's really necessary to remember that Slovakia, like Ukraine, uh, shared quite an unhappy history with uh, Russia or, you know, the, the, the USSR. And uh, really many of Slovakia's vulnerabilities uh, to, to Russian propaganda Uh, stem from the sentiments and perceptions uh, of Russia that have remained quite quite ingrained in the in the public uh, consciousness here in Slovakia, and of course the older generation which actually experience uh, the the common history or you know the coexistence with uh, with Soviet Russia uh is is quite vulnerable in this in this respect because the older generation did really didn't really have an opportunity to kind of uh experience this uh democratic transformation in Slovakia because Slovakia is of course quite a quite a young uh democracy that is still uh learning and you know trying to trying to touch these uh, these democratic ropes, of course. Um, but of course, there are other problems that uh, that are more complex. Um, it's the issue of the pro-Russian subsystem or disinformation sub- subsystem uh, that I have mentioned before, but of course, uh, also the issues of, let's say, all media literacy or the low level of critical thinking uh, also play a role in uh, in this respect. Uh, but maybe what's the the main uh, figure or, or point that I would like to main is this is this presence of panslavism, uh, this idea or this belief uh, that is still present, uh, and the panslavism, of course, is uh, related uh, to this belief of Slovak population that Russia is still some kind of a 
brotherly Slavic nation uh, that doesn't have any uh, bad intentions with Slovakia and so uh, and so on, which is quite uh, comedic, I would say actually, because even Russia itself uh, has directly uh, said that Slovakia is is the enemy of of the Kremlin, right? So yeah, I mean. These pro-Russian sentiments, which are really linked to the perception of Russia as some kind of a victim of international political injustice or, or something like that, or as a defender of traditional values and, let's say, a certain way of life that stands in the opposition to the so-called decadence of the West, are being really are being used really, really uh, effectively in, in the case of Slovakia. That's very interesting historically because Slovakia is a uh, you can say it's motherland of actually pan-slavistic ideas in in the late 18th and early 19th century especially in the early 19th century the Stur circle and uh, and this uh, Czech and Slovak intellectuals like Shafarik were all, were very much influencing the Ukrainian romanticism and uh, it's interesting interesting to trace back so when these uh, slavic ideas were developing in uh, countries like uh, slovakia or ukraine uh, they were only after penetrating russia and uh, they were in russia they were very very much late and then they were of course distorted because the key thing about in this pan-slavism in the romantic area was the idea of democracy, the idea of freedom, the idea of living without a tyranny, without autocracy, and then Russians turned it into precisely the idea of which legitimizing autocracy. But let me ask, uh, I mean, this social factor is very interesting. So do I understand you correctly that mostly those people who are find themselves as losers in this democratization process or the process of transferring to capitalism in the 90s and 2000s or EU integration are actually more benevolent to the Russian propaganda. Does this mean that it's primarily the elderly people in the rural areas or you have some other... Uh, all these narratives are also popular among younger people in the cities. What would you say? Right, yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, the older and the younger generation are the most uh, vulnerable groups here in Slovakia. And this stems from, well, what I've already mentioned, the low levels of media literacy and the low level of critical thinking. And um, of course, I mean, the economical, the educational and also social factors play uh, play a role here, and it's um, it's quite well argued by uh, some of the recent surveys that uh, Slovaks or some part of the Slovak population actually uh, tends uh, towards the autocracy, the the idea of the strong leader, uh, and all of that, which of course kind of signals these these pro-Russian uh, sentiment. As I have mentioned before, we are quite a young democracy and uh, these beliefs or these vulnerabilities towards uh, accepting various, let's say, disinformation narratives or conspiracy theories uh, goes hand in hand with people 
uh, that aren't actually satisfied within the democracy or they didn't get the results uh, that they were actually uh, expecting. But that is only part of the problem, I would say, because also there's this question of identity here in Slovakia, right? Uh, I mean, we had this interesting survey uh, done in 2022 that actually said that most of these uh pro-russian believers let's say uh actually build this castle of glass their, their castle of identity uh that is built on these pillars of uh well being unsatisfied uh and being quite vulnerable towards accepting these various malign uh influences because it's part of their identity it's it's the result of these issues we know we know all about especially in the case of social media and this is the issue of uh the social media bubbles or, or communication uh bubbles that uh, we are entering and it's quite difficult to leave them of course for for these people so actually there is a quite a high probability that uh, people who actually believe that, for example, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, was, let's say, the creation of some political elites like Bill Gates, George Soros, or whoever, right? Uh, these people uh, have quite uh, quite a big probability to actually believe these various pro-Russian narratives, mostly in regards to the, uh, to the war in Ukraine. For example, these conspiracy theories that were spread by by Russian propaganda uh, in regards, for example, to the to the tragedy and the massacre in 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 Bucha. Uh, and these people really have a high probability to to believe that, uh, for example, the the dead in the Bucha weren't really dead, that uh, there were only actors uh, and all of all of these disinformation narratives that we have met with, uh, unfortunately. So yeah, I would say that uh, social, economical, and you know the educational factors, for example, uh, play the role. But I would say that uh, in the case of Slovakia, it's mostly the historical and identity part uh, that presents this this huge uh, vulnerability towards uh, towards the challenge that uh, Russia proposes with with its propaganda. Right, and uh, I, I think when the case of Bucha is is precisely notorious, or the case of Izum or some other places, because I mean, this is verifiable. This is this is not something that you can you cannot really verify. I mean, there there are of course many things, many pieces of information that you cannot really verify. Uh, especially during the war on the front line, for example, sometimes you cannot really ver- verify who shelled uh, this particular, you know, place uh, because this is artillery war. In some cases you can, in some cases you cannot. But with with Bucha, what you need to do is actually to go to Bucha and ask people. And if you cannot go, you should, I mean, rely on 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 the journalists who you're sure will go and ask people and will be on these places. And we did, of course, it many times here in Kiev. Bucha is a Kiev suburb. We have seen the these uh, mass graves near St. Andrew Church where about 100 people were buried. We talked to people who lost uh, their relatives. We have seen the cars shelled by the Russians. 
when people from Bucha or Hostomel uh, or other places around were trying to evacuate. We have seen the friends of those people who were confirming us uh, who these people were, etc. So this is indeed this mistrust uh, to the journalism, which is which is you know has a is a, is a, is a basis of this propaganda. Let me ask Alona, what do you think about this fertile ground? Is it does it still exist this fertile ground for the Russian propaganda? And of course we can we can talk that the major narratives is about the fascism, the far right, so-called far right, so-called fascism, so-called nazism in Ukraine. What we can say about this maybe a few years ago and now? I, in this case, we were talking about the Russian propaganda. They try to use the history as the main way to manipulate the events, the um, description, the reasons for why this event has occurred, and uh, accusation definitely of Nazism have become one of the most popular um, for Russian propaganda in Ukrainian media sphere. I mean, the Facebook, which we find out. And take into account the fact that Ukraine, um, as the um, one of the main targets for Russian disinformation attacks, this uh, was mainly trying to discredit Ukraine and opposes this um, um, country for cooperation with the other aliens as well. We find quite intensive uh, historical confrontation about uh, the fact that Ukraine uh, doesn't exist. It's not the country. It's failed state. It's, it was created uh, by Russia, etc., etc. This was a kind of the um, news that spread by Russian propagandists as well, Russian media. And uh, if we are talking about the uh, idea the uh, calling Ukraine as a Nazi. It's necessary to mention that Russian propaganda on Facebook try to um, show Ukraine and society as radical, fascist, and neo-Nazi, and uh, um, showing this as the reason for starting the full-scale invasion. Because as we remember, the Nazification and the militarization is uh, what we heard on the 24th of uh, February 2022 by, um, from Russia's President Vladimir Putin. And this was the way how they try to so-called liberate um, our society, our nation from the Nazism. So this idea was cultivated for a couple long time before this full-scale invasion, and we see the reason just a year ago. And the, frankly speaking, the, that worked among the Russian population because when we talk to Ukrainian peasants who actually were talking to Russian soldiers. And uh, we, we, we talked to many people in many villages um, who actually experienced occupation. And they repeat actually the same thing, that Russian soldiers, when they had something to tell Ukrainian peasants, they were repeating the story that uh, they came here to denazify Ukraine and to kill the Nazis and the fascists, and they will not touch upon ordinary people. Of course, this raises a huge number of questions why then these Russian soldiers were shooting at civilians during the green corridors, the, the humanitarian corridors from all over Ukraine, from Mariupol, from Bucha, from Izum and many other places. Another question is why they were bombing uh, residential areas in Borodyanka, in Izum, in Kharkiv and many other places that we have seen with our own eyes, uh, knowing that there are civilians 
and not fascists or Nazis or even Ukrainian soldiers. So these are those many questions we can ask and we are still we are asking. Peter, let me address to this issue of far right. Uh, so how is this presented in in the in in Slovakia with regard to both historical perspective and today? For example, if the question of UPA, Ukrainian insurgent army during the Second World War, is present in the Russian propaganda in Slovakia. Right. Uh, I mean, going back to what you said, that the Russian propaganda mostly works in the case of well, Russian population. I mean, I for, uh, unfortunately, I have to say that it also works in the case of, of Slovak population and various other uh, Western democracies, and it's precisely these narratives that that you have mentioned. Well, basically, the meta narrative that we have focused on that uh, that is quite uh, effective, at least in in the case of uh, in the cases of some parts of of, of population. But uh, I mean, in Slovakia, uh, if memory serves me right, uh, the historical revisionism, as as we have called it. Uh, formed quite a significant part of the analyzed content, but uh, I think uh, that. But I would say that uh, Slovak, these Slovak proclaiming actors uh, tended to focus more on narratives that actually spoke about the criminal activities of far right organizations in in modern history. So let's say in in connection to the events of Maidan, the war in Donbas, the annexation of Ukraine. Uh, and so on. And of course, these were mainly related to other narratives or rather sub-narratives that, that we have followed. Uh, in particular, this, this main accusation of fascism against uh, Ukrainian, Ukrainian uh, political elites or the Ukrainian uh, government uh, itself. I mean, in regards to the, the, this narrative of criminal activities of far-right organizations, uh, these narratives in Slovak information space were mostly discussing groups such as Azov, right sector, uh, and so on. And well, the given narrative also included the rhetoric of Kiev's far right regime, or the so-called far right regime, or the or the so-called fascist junta. Uh, but interestingly, uh, organizations such as Azov or right sector have served Russian propaganda to achieve this some kind of a semblance of historical continuity of the Ukraine far right and to somehow link the past and the present. Uh, and this is the case, uh, especially when references to the uh, mentioned OUN and the UPA and their activities uh, in the period from the 1930s to the 1950s were attached to this, uh, to this narrative. Uh, and this is one of the fundamental lines on which Soviet and Russian propaganda of, of today uh, actually intersect, uh, in my opinion, uh, because as with the OUN and the UPA, uh, in the case of Azov and right sector, we can see uh, this attempt of prop Kremlin propaganda to engineer this, let's say, black and white image which communicates on an axis between good and evil, of course, while programming actors uh, try to artificially uh, hyperbolize the, the problem of the Ukrainian far right and pragmatically offer this, this false 
uh, or this fictitious uh, uh, salvation uh, in the form of the Kremlin as some kind of a eternal protector against uh, fascism or, or Nazism. Right, and uh, and indeed this is this is very very important just for our listeners to 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 explain that OUN is the organization of Ukrainian nationalists active in uh, precisely 1930s 1940s, and uh, UPA is the Ukrainian insurgent army, which was uh, an army of this organization, and uh, just to, for you to remember that. OUN proclaimed Ukrainian independence in 1941. They actually addressed, did address the Nazi Germany for support for this independence when, when the Nazi Germany uh, invaded the Soviet Union. The Nazis were not really interested in the Ukrainian independence and put the key figures of OUN UPA into, into jail and into the camps. We should also remember that. Uh, of course, this doesn't mean that there are there were lots of other stories, not uh, very good stories about uh, about uh, the the massacres uh, of Polish population in Volin and uh, and uh, you know uh, other uh, other questions, other stories about Holocaust uh, and uh, the participation of some Ukrainians I- in this. Or as well, we can we can mention that uh, Ukrainians were also saving Jews, um, and the case of Andrei Sheptitsky and uh, the uh, 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 Vasilian Monastery uh, is is also very important. So it's it's indeed very complicated story, and the story of the current far right is also very complicated because on the one hand, far right exists in Ukraine, existed in Ukraine as in any other countries. But at the same time, is Azov, for example, a far-right battalion? Well, we can say that it was a very much prepared to uh, military action, and therefore we have seen right now how heroically Azov uh, was defending Mariupol. And people who joined Azov uh, on many stages, uh, there are people with very different backgrounds and, and very different, actually, very different worldviews. So this is indeed not not really black and white and and should be studied in detail uh, okay uh, what can we say about about this in the ukrainian context alona um, if we are talking about ukraine it's necessary to mention that russia tries to use the um idea of Ukrainian insurgent army to construct the narrative that uh, Ukraine is an is a Nazi state and definitely that Ukrainians is Nazi collaborators that have to be liquidated and uh, we managed to uh, notice one thing that this narrative is uh, a little bit transformed in 2014 as uh, uh, Russian began to use messages about Nazism in Ukraine and radicals who will eliminate Russian speakers in Ukraine to discredit the revolution of dignity. Uh, it what happened uh, in 2014 when Ukrainians decided definitely go to the streets to protest against the uh, Yanukovych regime and decided that uh, we are going to the European Union because we want to become the part of the EU. And... Um, this was a good uh, example when Russia tries uh, to use this um, in their information uh, sphere just to explain that uh, the government, the um, 
le- the legal government is right now uh, the fascist, the uh, those. Um, who are trying to destroy the country and Russia that period in 2014 just to remind that they come to uh, help so-called help Ukraine um, with the annexation of the Crimea as well as the beginning of the Russian aggression on uh, Donbass territory and uh, just to um, one sample that we find on the Facebook it's quite uh, interesting that in 2021, uh, Delinsky wrote that Ukraine is gradually turning into Nazi Germany of the 30s of the 20th century, gradually legalizing anti-Semitism. So, as you can see, this is the fir- uh, like the um, example that uh, uh, even in 2021, after. Um, seven years of uh, annexation, starting the Russian aggression, annexation of Crimea, uh, they still called Ukraine as uh, uh, Nazi and uh, trying to compare it to Nazi Germany of the previous period. Yes, for the, for us to understand the facts that actually Ukraine was existing with all its Russian speakers, all its Russian speak, speaking population peacefully. Azov was standing in Mariupol, mostly Russian speaking city, defending Mar- Mariupol since, since 2014. Nothing was happening. And then Russians came and they made a genocide of Russian speakers in Mariupol. They did a genocide of Russian speakers in Izum. They shelled uh, residential buildings in Russian speaking cities like Kharkiv. If you go to in the eastern Ukraine, you see that mostly a Russian-speaking town, Liman, does not exist. Uh, we mo- Many villages around Izum do not exist. And, uh, you know, th- the most one of the most peculiar things when we travel in the east and when we see, for example, Russian churches or, or those churches of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which is aligned with, with Moscow, with Mos- Moscow Patriarchy, the so-called UPC. And we have seen, for example, near Izum, uh, in, in a town called Bohorodichne, which is uh, in which there is a temple of Bohorodice, the, the St. Mary, the Our Lady Church, which was actually aligned with Moscow and which was hit by a Russian missile as 300 and completely, completely destroyed. This is this is the reality. This is how it looks. It's actually Russian army which is doing the genocide of Russian-speaking population of Ukraine. This is the reality. Okay, guys, uh, thank you so much for this conversation. I think it it was very fruitful, and uh, um, you will able to read this research soon on on the website of Ukraine World, right? Uh, and uh, it's it's really interesting to compare the neighboring countries which are similar in some cases and different in some other cases and we should really uh, understand how Russian propaganda penetrates uh, other different countries and goes through the borders and actually the key point that we are making in our podcast is that propaganda kills that it is precisely because of that because of the information warfare that we now have this hot warfare hot war and genocidal war and therefore information is not innocent at all Peter Dubotsi, uh, thank you so much for joining this podca- podcast you are research fellow of ADAPT Institute and director of infosecurity.sk thank you 
Thank you very much. And Alona Hryshko, my colleague at Ukraine World, analyst and journalist at Ukraine World and Internews Ukraine. Thank you for listening and uh, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and you can support us on patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Thank you.